He was one of the best fathers ever, according to the Bible, and he also was right before God. So what went wrong that everything went south for him? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Today we learn about Job. And this is an amazing book that we begin. It's going to be very good. We're going to teach it in about five minutes, Job chapter one. Corey is here with Ryan to tell us what they're going to do. Corey? We're going to be taking a look at some archaeological remains of some ancient pastimes today. Ryan? Today, I'm dealing with what seems to be a scriptural contradiction regarding the current status of Satan. In particular, is he tied up or is he free to roam? Very good question. And we'll answer that question in about 20 minutes time with those two. 25 minutes, Janice. Today, be careful. All right. So get out your Bible guide and let's focus on what God is teaching us as we open up the Bible, the most important book of all, and listen to him. Job 1, 1 through 12. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. 
Job chapter one, two, and three. This is the book of the Bible that is fascinating. I'll tell you, I love the book of Job. And as we read through the Bible, we come across this book. And the book of Job may be the earliest composed book of the Bible. And it is set during the time of the patriarchs, when wealth and success were measured in ownership of livestock and land. Now, the Hebrew title for this book is Iob and can have two possible meanings. If it's derived from the Hebrew word for persecution, then it means the persecuted one. And more likely, if it is coming from the Arabic or the Arabic word, meaning to come back or to repent, then it may be defined as the repentant one. Now, both of these meanings can certainly be applied to this particular book. Job's opening chapters begin with a discussion that Job knows nothing about. Satan is prompted to test Job when God asks if he has seen and considered God's servant Job. I mean, God brought him up. The book shows us the consequences of Satan's work when Job's possessions are handed in to Satan's authority. He loses everything. And when Job is still faithful to God, the trials intensify. Job loses his sons and daughters. It is a horrible journey. Finally, his friends come to him and they're so shocked at his fall and what he looks like now that they don't even talk to him for seven whole days. I mean, this book is absolutely amazing when you begin to understand what it says and what it means. Now, I would suggest that if you don't have a Bible guide, you call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, it'll take you to a page that uh, where you can donate. Thank you for your donations. And let me say that we appreciate it tremendously. That is wonderful. It takes you to a page where you can download it exactly how we have printed it. And so you can, you're seconds away from joining us, the repentant one, uh, in this study today. But as we look at this in Job chapter 1, let's stop and pray. And Father, I ask today that as we study this book, that we would hear what you're saying. That we would understand that you are talking to us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to listen to your words and may they change our lives as we change the way we respond to pain and to suffering in this world. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Now let's go to the first chapter and let's look at this because this is absolutely fascinating. We need to remember this throughout reading the whole book. We have to come back and remember this. Here's what it says, Job chapter one, verses one to three. There was a man in the land of Oz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all, in the people of the East. Now that's important to remember. Remember that Job is presented for being right with God. That's very important. We are all under the provision of God in our life and we must follow the call, the call 
of Jesus Christ. Beloved, remember this. Our lives are absolutely nothing without the Lord. We follow Jesus Christ and we put our provision in his hands. It's not in our hands. Now, we may think it is with this job or that job or what we've got here. No, no. no. Our provision comes not from our paychecks. Our provision comes from God. We need to remember God uses the paychecks to give us provision, but our provision ultimately is from the Lord. And that's Job's case. His provision was from God. This is fascinating, I'll tell you. Now let's go on to the next verses because they're interesting. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was that when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and he would sanctify them. He would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did this regularly, which brings me to the third point. Job was concerned with the righteousness of his family. He was an amazing man. Job took responsibility for his children under God's provision. Now, beloved, listen to me carefully. Husbands are husbands. Fathers are fathers. And there is a responsibility that fathers need to take for their children. You just need to take it. And when your children get old enough to decide between right and wrong, you've got to direct them into the position of right and then they'll make their own decision. Beloved, we need to pay attention. Now, the family today is totally blown apart. But I would suggest to you that the Bible teaches us, men, that we need to be fathers and husbands. And we need to stay with our wives. And we need to completely dedicate our lives to helping them. First, we dedicate our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is the will of God. We need to remember that, beloved. That is a provision that the Bible says. Very interesting. Job was doing that. Let's go on. Job 6 to 12. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Well, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions and have increased in his land. But wait a minute. Now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face, God. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from there, from the presence of the Lord. Now this is absolutely fascinating. Job's possessions meant nothing to his soul. Now, remember that. Job's possessions <laughs> meant nothing to his soul. 
God gives us what we need, not what we want. Many times people say, well, the Lord will give you what you need. But the, what they're really saying is the Lord will give you what I want. There needs to be a redefinition of what we need versus what we want. And we need to understand that God provides for us so that we can live. And beloved, we need to keep that in mind, especially today, right now, when inflation is what it is and everything's coming about, we need to say, Lord, help me to have everything I need. A lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. All right, well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And I'm really excited because today we begin the very intriguing book of Job. And, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about. But today I want to deal with what some think is a contradiction. And it has to do with the current status of Satan. Because passages like Job 1.7 and Job 2.2, as well as 1 Peter 5.8, say that Satan is free to roam. But then 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude verse 6 seem to claim otherwise. So the question is, is Satan tied up or is he free to roam? Well, let's study the relevant passages carefully. From the very beginning, the father of lies has worked very hard to sow seeds of doubt within the hearts and minds of mankind regarding God's perfect words. As a result, today we live in what is undoubtedly the most skeptical and cynical age of all time. In fact, following in their father's footsteps, skeptics and cynics have even produced a Bible of their own, the Skeptics Annotated Bible. However, just as Satan's words were utterly empty and false in Eden, so they are today as well. As an example, consider just one of the erroneous accusations brought against the perfect word of God. Claim is made that the Bible is in contradiction over Satan's current influence and status. For instance, when God asks Satan in Job 1.7 and 2.2 where he has come from, he responds, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Similarly, in 1 Peter 5.8, the Apostle of Christ warns believers to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yet this same Peter in his second epistle, chapter 2 verse 4, as well as Jesus' own brother Jude in Jude verse 6, both affirm that God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Based upon these verses, the question arises, is the devil tied up or is he free to roam? Actually, to pit these passages against each other is unwise because it is unclear as to what angels and to which sin 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 1.6 are referring. Although the skeptic has assumed that these passages are pertaining to the initial rebellion and fall of Satan and his demons, Peter and Jude simply do not say. In fact, many Bible scholars believe that the angels spoken of here are actually the group specifically involved with the Nephilim rebellion of Genesis chapter 6, just prior to the flood. The context of 2 Peter 2 and Jude do seem to place these angels in context with the time of Noah. In any case, whether this is the particular group of angels Peter and Jude are referring to or not, 
We do know from other Bible passages that not all the demons are bound in this dark abyss awaiting final judgment. Many of them, including Satan, do roam the heavens and earth. In fact, some of the demons who encountered Jesus begged him not to send them there because they feared going to that place. Thus, for the time being, Satan and those demons that have not been banished are free to roam, and no biblical passage denies that fact. Truly, as Proverbs 30 proclaims, every word of God is pure, and anyone who claims otherwise will be, like the devil, found to be a liar. So to claim that these passages are in contradiction is a mistake, as we just saw. And even if these passages in 2 Peter and Jude are referring to Satan and his entire force of fallen angels being in everlasting chains, there is still no issue. Because, as the 18th century Bible scholar Dr. John Gill explained, everlasting chains could be referring metaphorically to the power and providence of God over them meaning that they are in an imprisoned state whereby they are not their own lords and cannot do as they would. They are under restraints and in chains and not to be feared. Of course, we know that the ultimate outcome of all such dark forces, that Jesus Christ will cast Satan and all his demons and followers into the lake of fire, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. So do yourself a favor and make sure that you're on the right side of Christ when that takes place. Yeah, it's very very important on the right side of Christ. So keep that in mind. That's important. Okay, Corey, go ahead. Well, in the opening chapters of Job, we learn that Job's children had a, a routine of feasting and celebrating with each other on their respective birthdays. So it got me thinking what kind of ancient pastimes they would have gotten themselves into besides fasting, eating, uh, feasting, sorry, meaning eating and drinking and just talking with one another. And the answer, I think, is probably some board games. Check it out. Games and board games are sometimes seen as a modern luxury, but history shows that humans everywhere and in every time have invented and played games. As far back into human history as modern man can see, there's evidence of gameplay. The earliest examples come from the Neolithic time period and often include mancala-type boards carved into stone floors. These games have rows of holes in which pebbles, seeds, bones, or other small objects would be placed as game pieces, racing or battling other players for pieces. If not right away, this style of game was eventually carved into portable boards made of wood, clay, stone, or even ivory. Its dice and possibly point counters would have been made of similar materials, or sheep ankle bones were a popular form of dice. Dice themselves have an incredibly long history, both as a way to move in board games and as games themselves. The most ancient dice known today date to the 3rd millennium BC from Mesopotamia and modern-day Pakistan. Like today, dice came in many different shapes, sizes, and materials, and our most popular form of dice are represented in the ancient world. In the Roman Empire, dicing was nearly a sport. Competitive professional dicing leagues existed, and profits by gambling could become a man's full-time job. Some of the most famous gamblers were the emperors themselves. 
The oldest complete board game found is referred to as the Royal Game of Ur, or 20 squares. It dates to the middle of the 3rd millennium BC, and the game's date of invention must have been before this. 20 Squares was played all over the ancient world, and excitingly, the modern curator of the British Museum translated a cuneiform tablet that gave instructions on how to play at least one ancient version of it. It was essentially a race. This 20 Squares game is related to another game popular in ancient Egypt and was widely played in biblical Canaan, 30 Squares, or Senate. Senate was played on a board made up of three rows of ten squares. It was a pastime played by all levels of society and eventually took on religious symbolism as seen in the imagery on existing game boards and in tomb paintings. There has even been a satirical painting found of animals playing Senate. In the biblical world specifically, there have been many games unearthed archaeologically. In Jerusalem, there are over 25 public board games found inscribed in stone, and a more mysterious game called Dogs and Jackals was found in ancient Megiddo. Games were not limited to the board game variety. Historical versions of the yo-yo were popular in ancient Greece and made from clay, metal, and wood. Likewise, the ancients enjoyed toys, puppets, tops, and many other forms of entertainment. It's really fun to think about ancient people uh, in this way, in, in what they did in their off times, the, the rare off times that they would have when they're not worrying about survival and, and, and things of that nature. We tend to take our free time for granted today. You know, living in this day and age, we have a lot of it. So what are we going to do with it? That's another question that uh, I find myself pondering. Now, you say we have a lot of it, but a lot of people say I never have any time. Yeah, but I mean, when you think about, you know, we take time time to, we have, generally people will have weekends off or they'll have a day off of work at least, which in the ancient world, that wasn't normally a thing unless you were very, very well off. They didn't have social media in the ancient world. Also true. And they didn't have the internet. They didn't also have true. all these other things. Mm -hmm. So uh, very, very interesting. Of course, you know, we choose to get involved in that. So we choose to waste our time. But anyway, <laughs> that's, that's, I'm, just, I'm just saying, okay. Or use our time <laughs> in a different way. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next. Go with that. Go ahead. All right, because I'm talking about being careful. So let's be careful. You know, we're getting into this book of Job. And uh, I'm going to be repeating a lot of myself over the next few days as we do cover the book of Job. But as tempted as we are in our lives today, we should not make judgments on one another, especially by the outward appearance. This is a lesson that we will see as we read through the book of Job. Remember back in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where Samuel is going to anoint a king for Israel. And he goes to Jesse and he calls Jesse's sons. And the first one is a kingly looking man. And he is convinced that this is the one. But God says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance 
or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And again, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. It's really important. These men, these friends of Job, came and made their own decisions based on things that made them feel very comfortable, uncomfortable. And they needed, as we do a lot of times when we don't understand what's happening, we're trying to take a look at the situation and survey and discover what we think the problem is so that we can help it to go away. Is that not true, Rod? Mm, yeah. Right? And so it, when I titled it, Be Careful, there was that little song that we used to sing to the kids. When, you know, that be careful, little eyes, what you see. What you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. What you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. What you see. There, I, 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 you know, we started something. We need to keep going with that. And, you know, it goes into be careful, little mouth, what you say. And then be careful, little ears, what you hear. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm taking it a little bit out of context here um, because this is a very serious matter. But we really do. We are accountable for the things that we say. And a lot of times we are better talkers than we are listeners. And James also talks about that. He talks about the tongue, talks about um, being um, slow to listen. Am I saying that the right mm-hmm. way? Slow mm-hmm. to listen. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow, slow to speak. To speak. Yeah. There it is. And uh, that's what we need to put in practice here. And as we go through Job, you know, I see so many shades of myself, so many things that I think I would have said to Job as well. I don't think I would have been a very good comforter at the time. So we need to be careful with our mouths, what we say, and be careful with our eyes, what we see, because we don't see the situation. We don't see what's behind that situation. And we certainly don't know what's in somebody's heart. Only God does. So let's just be careful. I think that's important. And with, again, with social media and everything else, we make judgments. Quick judgments. Very and quick. like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Well, here's, here's this problem. You can't do that. And this is the problem they, the Bildad and Zophar and Elihu had with Job. You can't just make judgments on that. You know, they based, they, they didn't know that it was God who brought Job up. He said to Satan, listen, do you see my servant Job? And Satan says, yes, but your servant, Job, you protect him and you put this big hedge of protection around him. And and God says, okay, you can take it. Just don't take his life. So what is this about? And then later at the end of the scripture, we see in Job 38, when he says, who is this that darkened counsel with words without knowledge? Um, Later on, he says, pray for your friends, Job, pray for your friends, Job, because I will not forgive them. They did not speak right of me as you did. Interesting, isn't it? Oh, very interesting. We're accountable.
It's important to remember that BD Family and Friends is a a particular application on the Roku box, and I want to encourage you to get a hold of it so that you can watch our network and all of our programs as we present everything on there. It's a way that we can stay in touch with you. So that's BD Family and Friends on the Roku channel. Make sure you pay attention to it. Let's pray today. Father, we pray today that you would help us to stay close to you in these times. They are very desperate times. 